0: to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up.
1: Welcome to our, our second week of the Dumbo Feather Conversation Series. This is our opportunity to come together uh, and to process this enormous change that we're experiencing at the moment. to reimagine um, how we want to live and the systems we want to live in on the other side. And that is the work that we've been doing for a long time at Dumbo Feather. And now it feels so much more potent. Um, so I'm really honoured to have this opportunity to, to, to speak with you all and to To bring people from the Dumbo Feather community into this forum uh, and to share the wisdom that they have for us at this time. So, I'll be with Barry, our publisher, in conversation with the guests every week. Um, And this week, I'm so thrilled to have have Hugh McKay here. Hello, Hugh. Hello, Nathan. Hello, everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to acknowledge the the traditional owners of the land that I'm currently sitting on. They are the Wurururong people of the Kulin Nations. And I pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Uh, And I'm going to hand over to Hugh to hear um, his acknowledgement of the country he's on right now. And I'm also going to encourage you all using the chat function to to share your own acknowledgement if you know the country you're sitting on. So please
2: go forth and do that. Hugh, can you share with us? Yes, thank you, Nathan. Uh, I'm speaking from Ngunnawal country uh, in Canberra, we, we we now call it Canberra. Uh, in fact, that name came from the Indigenous word Dambri, uh, uh, um, uh, which is kind of transmuted into Canberra. Um, but I also want to acknowledge that the Ngunnawal people are the traditional owners of the land from which I'm speaking to you, and similarly, I want to acknowledge their elders, past, present and emerging. Thank you, Nathan.
1: Thanks you. So, for those of us who are joining from last week, um, welcome back. We are going to follow a similar format, um, which is pretty much a very nice conversation with our guest for thirty minutes. Then we will break out into smaller groups and into little breakout rooms for a check-in, and you'll be invited to share a reflection on a question. Um, And we did notice last week that a lot of people dropped out before. Yes,
0: I want to just give a shout out to all my beloved introvert friends on this call I know that going into breakout rooms with strangers sounds like a terrifying thing please don't leave the call stay in it because a lot of people gave feedback that that was their favorite part and that we should actually just make the whole thing breakout rooms that was probably extroverts but anyway um, you are in the safety of your own home in your own cozy room so um, please don't don't run away i know obviously everybody has different pressures on them and can and can't go into those smaller rooms but they are pretty nourishing and wonderful um and and then we'll come back nath after that yeah. and answer so we'll come questions.
1: back to the last 10 minutes to answer questions so any questions that you have comments reflections please share them in the in the chat function um, and we'll attend to as many of them as we can get to throughout. NAP. Yeah,
0: also just, just to say that those breakout rooms are why we are keeping this forum closed. So we keep it at a max cap number and there's hundreds of people who want to come into here. So it's sort of part of the whole joy of it is that at a certain number, we can do the breakout rooms. Over that, we can't. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, so it feels less like a webinar and more like a community experience for us all in this hour together um yeah so well before we move into our chat i'm going to invite you to settle into your space actually barry do you mind reading that that piece that you shared with oh, me yeah. earlier before we go into a meditation mm-hmm. me. um, Hugh, now, is Nancy, this
0: something i'm excited yeah. to barry. talk to you yeah go for yeah i'm excited to talk to you more about This is something beautiful that was sent to me the other day. Uh, I was walking on a country lane near where I am and it was pretty spooky. Uh, I'm sure everyone's having those experiences of going out into the world and the world isn't occupied by us at the moment, so it's quiet and a little bit eerie. Uh, And then I was sent this by my niece in London and I thought it would be beautiful to go into our, our session with this. When you go out and see the empty streets, the empty stadiums, the empty train platforms, don't say to yourself, it looks like the end of the world. What you're seeing is love in action. What you're seeing in that negative space is how much we do care for each other, for our grandparents, for our immune-compromised brothers and sisters, for people we will never meet. People will lose their jobs over this. Some will lose their businesses and some will lose their lives. All the more reason to take a moment when you're out on your walk or on your way to the store or just watching the news to look into the emptiness and marvel at all of that love. Let it fill you and sustain you. It isn't the end of the world. It is the most remarkable act of global solidarity we may ever witness. Mm
1: -hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Mm -hmm. So let's hold that as we settle into our space, settle into our bodies, maybe closing down your eyes if you feel comfortable to do so, and starting to pay attention to the inhale and the exhale of your breath. Feeling the land, supporting your body, tuning into to all the aliveness around you. And bringing your awareness to your heart space. And calling to mind someone or something that fills you with love. And let that love expand into every corner of your chest. maybe even out into the home, your community, the whole planet. And when you're ready gently bring your back yourself back into the space thanks everyone so hello Hugh so great to see you again I wanted to I wanted to begin just by hearing from you about how the past few weeks have been like what 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 they've been like for you and how you've been able to process this time that we're in. How are you thinking about it? What's going on?
2: Thanks, Nathan. As usual for me, it's a funny combination of my personal response and my response as a person who spent my professional life studying our society, so I can never really separate the two things. Um, But to be be strictly personal for a moment, uh, just echoing something that Barry read, uh, or said at the at the beginning of her remark, uh, this is a godsend for introverts, and I'm a textbook introvert. <laughs> uh, but there are aspects of social isolation uh, which are extremely appealing to me, even while I recognise that I'm a member of a species that desperately need to be together, and of course so do I. Um, but time out is very precious. I'm um, to read, to think, to write. Uh, I'm playing with uh, some ideas for a new book, so it's 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 wonderful to think of weeks uh, stretching ahead where I can choose what I'll do most of the time. But more broadly, of course, uh, what I'm thinking about is the impact of all this on our society. Uh, and I, I thought that reflection that. Uh, Barry Reddice was particularly beautiful. I've been thinking along similar lines that uh, the the sacrifices that most of us are making are a wonderful example of our understanding of our interconnectedness. I mean, I hope it won't always take a pandemic (laughs) to remind us that we are absolutely an indivisible whole, uh, but that's what it does remind us of. That, that we are uh, absolutely interdependent. And so when you see people who are prepared to stay at home, uh, as the New Zealand Prime Minister has been saying, not just stay home, but stay home to save lives, that's why we're doing it. Uh, when you see people who are prepared to do that, who are prepared to play by the new rules and are bearing, in many cases, a pretty heavy burden, Uh, ranging from loneliness to financial trouble, uh, you realise that that's what we humans are capable of doing when our backs are to the wall, when there really is a crisis or a catastrophe of some kind. Yes, it's true, as we saw here, as we saw in Europe and North America, around the world, in the very beginning of things like this, when people become fearful and anxious They slip into blind panic mode and they behave in ways that look pretty bad, look very selfish and desperate. But that doesn't last very long. Our our underlying common humanity eventually prevails and we begin to realise that when we look back on this, and that's actually quite a useful perspective, I think, when we look back on this, which bits of our behaviour will we be ashamed of, and which bits which bits of our behaviour will we be proud of? And the way it's going in most of the countries that we that we have information about, there's an enormous amount for people to feel proud of in their understanding of the sacrifice we have to make for each other. It's not it's not ultimately about me; it's ultimately about us. Yeah.
1: So I'm struck at the moment by this paradox of of kind of being in my home environment and feeling, obviously, I'm stuck within a particular radius of my home and feeling more and more inward looking and feeling quite localised, right? I'm feeling very connected to my local space and local community and yet not being able to actually reach out and become an active participant of my local community um, Mm. because of the situation. And I find that quite a kind of challenging thing to navigate at the moment and I wonder if you have any reflections on them.
2: Well, uh, two, two immediate reflections spring to mind, Nathan, and, and I, like, I think most of us are experiencing that dilemma that you just described. Um, my first reflection is a bit of enforced introspection, a bit of enforced retreat is going to be powerfully therapeutic for us. We are, I think, on math. Uh, those of us who, are, I mean, some people are not cognitively equipped for introspection and we'll come to the people who are, are particularly marginalised by episodes like this. That's a separate question. But for the sort of people who are with us at the moment, uh, a bit of enforced introspection is, is deeply therapeutic for us. It is a chance to ponder all the stuff that normally goes on and to decide whether we need all that stuff That we so desperately accumulate, whether we decide whether we really need all those trips that we seem desperately to go on, whether we need to run as hard as we've been running, whether we need to be as busy as we've been. This is one of those magic moments where we are free to say, actually, there are aspects of my life that when I pause, take a deep breath and think about this, really do seem insane. And I don't have to live like that. But the other half of your dilemma, which we all share, Nathan, is this feeling inhibited about reaching out. And of course, we can't reach out in the traditional way. We can't now just go and knock on a neighbor's door and say, How are you going? Well, we can if we remember to stand back uh, and keep our distance. But I think very quickly into this process, it dawns on us that. It's not social distancing that we have to keep. It's physical distancing. But our social needs are actually more brought into sharper relief, are more urgent at a time like this than they normally are. So we can, in fact, reach out. I have to tell you that last night uh, in the apartment block, the apartment block that I live in is one of a series of seven buildings around a common courtyard. Uh, We face out from the courtyard, so we don't, in the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But a person in the block next to us emailed all the people in his block and our block to say at at four prescribed times last night he was going to play on his sound system Mm -hmm. songs for us all to join in. So we had a balcony choir. We mostly couldn't see each other, but we could hear each other. It was absolutely magical. And the sense of being reminded that they're just there—we can't see them, but they're there—and now we can hear them. Some of them lit candles, and it was a it was a beautiful thing. Uh, so that's a fairly dramatic way of doing it. But of course, one of the a lot of us are worried about living at this period in history because of the inroads made into our lives by information technology, by the internet in particular. Well. What a blessing the internet turns out to be at a moment like this. I mean, we're lucky that that this is happening to us in 2020 when we can email, text, uh, contact friends by all sorts of means that we would previously not have been able to do. I'm receiving emails from people I haven't spoken to or seen for years And suddenly they're writing and saying, how are you going? Are you dealing all right with this? Uh, uh, We're we're back in touch. Um, uh, I've noticed my wife's family, who has strung out, she's Irish, they're strung out around the world. They're normally in touch with each other once or twice a month. They're in touch with each other every day to see how they're going.
1: Mm.
2: Um, uh, And I think some of us are realising that, the lists of things we think we're going to do because we're in splendid isolation often don't get done because people are being so lovely, because the phone is ringing more often than it usually does and uh, the emails have a rather more personal flavour. Even emails from people I don't know, um, a journalist wanting me to comment on something, whatever it is, the tone is quite different. Uh, all, there's always a little section of the email about are you doing okay? You know, how, mm-hmm. how are you is everything going well? So, so I think we've just got to broaden our understanding of what reaching out means. But it can mean knocking on the neighbour's door as long as you respect the distance. It can mean some of us remember when people used to write each other notes. <laughs> remember notes? Well, you can still do that. You can still put a note under your neighbour's door in their letterbox. Just say, look, we're here. If you need anything, give us a shout. Here's the phone number. Uh, Anything we can do, we'd like to do. Uh, You can still pick some lemons from your tree and give them to someone at the end of the street who you know is at risk of being lonely, uh, as some people in our immediate communities are, not just uh, feeling socially isolated but actually feeling lonely.
0: Hugh, I was um, reading some of your writing again last night, and you're a bit of a national treasure. Um, You've been chronicling our country over a long period of time, and it does feel like there are two clashing narratives, the narrative of the punch-ups in supermarkets over toilet paper and the narrative of nourishing local connections that you've just been talking about and kindness campaigns and how we can reach out. I don't know if you've been thinking, I'm sure you have, been thinking about which narrative is going to win.
2: Mm. Yes, thanks, Perry. Um, Two responses to that. One one is, uh, aren't we humans wonderfully complicated and contradictory? Isn't it astonishing that each of us is capable of appalling behaviour and of noble, generous, loving, wonderful behaviour? That's us. That's how humans are. The entire spectrum of possibilities is in uh, each of us. So the people who were fighting in the supermarket aisles of Spain, Italy, Canada, Australia, et cetera, over toilet rolls, toilet rolls, they weren't fighting over life-sustaining material, they were fighting over toilet rolls. Uh, Any of us, given enough anxiety, given enough heightened fearfulness, would be capable of that kind of behaviour. Because fear brings out the worst in us, and so does anxiety. Anxiety is a very self-absorbed state. When people are trapped in the coils of anxiety, they do behave in ways that seem to the rest of us to be ruthlessly selfish. So we're all capable of that. But I have absolutely no doubt about which of those narratives will prevail. Mm -hmm. Because as Nathan said earlier, you know, we are forced into a period of introspection. What do we discover? when we go deeply into ourselves, when we we just think, of well, who am I? Uh, uh, I'm Hugh. How am I different from Nathan? How is Nathan different from Barry or Kathleen or Rachel or Sharon or Melissa or any of the other people who are gathered in this Zoom room? Uh, We're so preoccupied with our differences. Just keep digging. Just keep introspecting. Just go a little further into who you really are And the thing you realise is that you are part of this thing called humanity and that the differences which are so interesting, the differences between us which are so interesting are actually completely insignificant when we face some challenge, some threat to our species, to our neighbourhood, to our livelihood, uh, to our survival. Uh, What emerges then is that we are so like each other that the differences just melt away. That, that and, what, and our likeness is that we are humans with a, a built-in capacity for compassion, which sometimes doesn't prevail because of other conditions, but in the end does prevail. In the end, we, we, a, a crisis brings out the worst in some of us for a while it ultimately brings out the best in almost all of us because that's who we are. It's not something to praise ourselves about. It's just a fact that like most of the social species on the planet Earth, ranging from birds to sheep to humans, we belong together, we look out for each other. That is what comes naturally to us. It's not some remarkable thing that we... Can pull out of a bottom drawer in a crisis. That's actually what's natural. What's not natural for us is to be self-centered and competitive.
0: Can I? Can I just? Uh, sorry, Nath. Uh, Hugh, I'm just while you're talking. I'm hearing you, and I'm also hearing. That you were talking about the 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 trajectory of kind of selfishness from anxiety and exhaustion and all and fear um, that leads to compassion and kindness, but like it's one o'clock in the afternoon here in Melbourne, and I have been all of those things since six o'clock this morning. I mean, I have been like a legit lunatic with my kids for a couple minutes there, not my proudest moment, and then I was my highest, most compassionate self. So I find I can do all the things in a morning um, and um, I i don't know, I feel like our shadow self is just as real as this um, yeah. beautiful part of us. Well, I mean, that's what I encounter on the daily. I'm in this constant battle with the shadow of myself and, and my best and highest self and, yeah, it depends how much sleep I've had and how much quiet time and whether I've gone for a walk out in nature and I just, I wondered if there were, Yeah, you had any reflections on that? And also just to say, I did have this beautiful practice that a dear friend of mine called Kylie in Byron Bay, she's actually the wife of um, Cedar from Flow Hive, she's an amazing woman, and she gave me this incredible practice. She said, when I'm like feeling loose and it's not all together and I'm steeped in my shadow, that I need to practice the inner loving crew. And the inner loving crew consisted of my inner loving mother my inner loving father, my inner loving best friend. Sure. Um, and it was just this amazing practice to kind of have these inner loving voices bring you back from your dark depths and, and, and bring you up and sort of remind you that, that, that you can be compassionate to yourself and play these different roles in your own mind. Do you have any reflections on...?
2: Yes, yeah, that's lovely. I, I support that. It's a, it's a wonderful practice. Uh, and, by the way, congratulations on being an authentic human. <laughs> being capable of all that terrible stuff and all that wonderful stuff in the space of a morning or even an hour Yes, is what humans are. You know, let's not fool ourselves. None of us is a saint. None of us is a sinner. We are all combinations of those things and we move in and out. Uh, and, of course, uh, there are shadows. Hmm. Uh, now, what are shadows? Shadows are dark patches cast by light. You can't have the shadow without the light. In other words, the hate is the shadow of love. The competitive thing is the shadow of our cooperative true selves. I think it's helpful to remember that when you're in the shadow, that it's only there because the light is there too. And go to the origin, which is the love inside us, the compassion that we're all capable of? That's what casts the shadows. It's very demanding for humans. We we find it hard to be uh, gentle, kind, compassionate, tolerant, inclusive all the time. We falter. It's hard work, you know. No no one no one should try to fool us into thinking that love's work is easy. Love's work. Is the hardest of all, but that's why we're here. That's 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 what we're born for—to be members of a species that is inherently interdependent, interconnected, and has to be driven by compassion if it's going to survive, let alone thrive. But that casts shadows. Uh, The same as that—that is the light within us, and like any light, it casts shadows. So when the shadows seem to overwhelm us, I find it helpful. To remember why they're there, they're only there because there's light, and we just got to work our way back to the to the source.
1: I'm really interested at the moment in in um, this kind of question of reimagining and what things can look like on the other side, and the dreaming that we have to do, and that we can all be part of um, in terms of where we're headed. And I am. Um, so Hugh's got this beautiful article out, and I just want to um, let you know what blog to go to, to to read that article. It's on the blog called Pearls and Irritations. Um, check it out. And, and Hugh has lots of beautiful reflections on who we want to be. And this is what Hugh's been writing about for the past 50 or 60 years, who we want to be, what, what humans want to look like. And I think this crisis is going to accelerate, accelerate that transition for us. But I'm also interested, you make some comments in that article here about the institutions and that the fact that this period is bringing to light, um, you know, some of our tarnished institutions and we have an opportunity to restore some of the public trust that they've mm. lost. And mm. so I really would love to hear your, your kind of imaginings on, on what some of our institutions could look like and what even leadership could look like mm. um, on the other side of this.
2: Yes. Um, Who would have imagined in Australia uh, 12 months ago, (coughs) excuse me, who would have imagined that we might be thinking benign thoughts about banks? (laughs) Uh, uh, Suddenly, the banks who we've reviled uh, with perfect justification because of what's emerged in the Royal Commission... Who would have imagined that the banks are now rising to the occasion and and are clearly going to behave in a more sensitive, accommodating, generous way, um, putting loan repayments on hold, all sorts of things um, that, that, that we would hope institutions would do. I mean, we all, every society needs its institutions to do things for us collaboratively and cooperatively that we can't do together. Uh, So like run a banking system or an education system or a legal system or whatever it might be. Um, So the banks have a huge opportunity to restore some of the respect and trust that they've lost. So do the media. I think uh, uh, we may well see something of a move back towards traditional mass media away from uh, all the rabbit holes that we run down in the social media, on the internet more generally, which are often spurious, uh, not even generated by human beings, uh, and sometimes mischievous. I think there's going to be something of a swing back towards media that we've traditionally trusted. And if they behave well uh, and and show credibility uh, and integrity during this period, I think they will be uh, beneficiaries. I think the ABC, for example, in the Australian context, is already uh, uh, garnering uh, more support, more respect and bigger audiences uh, than, than ever. Um, I think the medical profession as an institution is emerging from this extremely well. We've understood uh, not just that governments are having to accept it. Isn't it interesting? We've, we've been criticising governments for not listening to the science. Now, suddenly they are listening to the science, uh, in this case, medical science. Um, but the, not just the scientific integrity uh, of medical researchers and medical profession uh, professionals in general, but also the heroic frontline activity uh, of doctors and nurses, uh, particularly in intensive care units and so on. I think it's just that, that respect is probably greater than ever. Um, uh, whether I mean, the, the the impact of all this on leadership and politics remains to be seen. Uh, New Zealanders are brimful of respect for their government because it moved so quickly and so definitively to have effectively a national lockdown. Some of our states have moved much more quickly than the federal government, and I think state leaders have attracted a lot more respect as a result of that. There was a feeling that our national leaders were stumbling a bit and not moving quickly enough to take the medical advice. Um, we may, may never know the inside story on that, but I don't think... But, but more generally, one of the things that has certainly happened already and will affect uh, the sort of Australia we will become is that government is back. Isn't it interesting that we've got a conservative government that's always been in favour of the classic neoliberal let keep the government out of people's lives small government um, mm-hmm. minimum interference now suddenly we have a community that wants the government to be front and centre we want the government to act and to tell us how we should respond in this crisis so it's kind of it's kind of good news for government not necessarily good news for individual politicians um, one other thing I'd say that's kind of connected, not so much about institutions but about how we might change when we come out of this, uh, Nathan, um, it, it's, it's a hope, really. I haven't got evidence that it's happening yet, but I suspect going through what might be three or four months of social isolation, getting a taste of what it feels like to be socially isolated, even though we can make all these contacts we've been talking about, might just bring to our consciousness the fact that there are a huge number of people in our society who are permanently marginalised through their social isolation. And that's people with special needs, people with disabilities, sometimes single parents, frail elderly people, people struggling with mental illness. Uh, students living a long way from home, uh, the homeless. There are all these kind of people who permanently experience what we are going through in a very temporary and controlled way. I hope one one of the implications of this experience will be for us to say, well, I never really understood what it must be like to live like this all the time, to feel you're on the margin and people aren't in touch with you and you can't just go out or make contact because you, you you've been you've been for whatever reason marginalized that would be my my great wish that we pay, as a society we pay much more attention to people who experience what we're now experiencing as a permanent condition amazing
1: amazing very interesting i was i was
0: actually just also thinking about that amazing book within i don't know if you've read it hugh the second mountain
1: oh i haven't yeah
0: yeah it's a wonderful book um by david brooks um from the new york times and he, and he also talks about when you talked about um the opportunity to restore public trust in institutions i think one of the things we're all looking for is what david brooks writes about which is the moral ecology how they're setting the moral ecology it's not just the doing of the bits and pieces but the how are we going to be with one another is a is the tone that is set in leadership
2: yes.
0: and and i think leadership at the moment is especially hard because you're going through this rite of passage while you're also leading community yes
2: yeah, that's true. I mean, I think one of the things just just that that relates in a funny kind of way to the point I was just making about people who are mindful. I think one of the things that leaders have not typically understood, but might now begin to understand. Again, it's a, just a matter of referring to the science. Is that loneliness uh, is a is a huge health hazard? Um, the Australian Psychological Society and Swinburne Institute of uh, Swinburne University. Um, Uh, at the end of last year, published some research which showed that 25% of Australians report feeling lonely most of the time. Now, that's not when they were going through a lockdown. That's when they were dealing with changes that were already happening in our society and not fully acknowledged, not of much interest, apparently, to our leaders. The British government did uh, appoint a minister for loneliness uh, it was a short-lived appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they resigned. I don't know what happened. Uh, but but I think we have to recognise that when people do feel socially isolated, they are at huge risk of loneliness, and loneliness, social isolation, are associated with all—not just anxiety and depression, but all kinds of physical ailments, hypertension, uh, increased inflammation, reduced immune function, sleep disturbances, cognitive decline, increased risk of addiction, particularly to IT devices. All of those things happen when people feel socially isolated and we just let that drift into loneliness. Now we have been becoming, it's something we, our politicians don't talk much about, but we have been becoming a more socially fragmented society. Every fourth household in Australia, contains only one person. Uh, Our rate of relationship breakdown, uh, our increasing reliance on information technology, our mobility, our busyness. There are all kinds of things about contemporary society that have tended to fragment us. The more fragmented we become, the more at risk of social isolation we are. The more at at risk of social isolation we are, the more at risk of loneliness we are. And then we're into a real health hazard. So I'm hoping one of the consequences politically of uh, this pandemic is that we will begin uh, to think, well, well, socially, first of all, we'll begin to think about the people in our street who are at risk of social isolation and realise that they are experiencing a health hazard and we can do something about it by reaching out to them. But I also hope that politically we hear more leadership on this subject, more encouragement uh, to build up the life of local neighbourhoods and communities. Uh, It happens at the level of local government. I think many of us are recognising at a time like this that that local local government play a really big part in shaping the extent to which we do uh, experience social cohesion or fragmentation.
0: Hugh, what, um, everyone has, oh, this is a great question. Everyone has become experts in the curve and how we should flatten it and we seem to be doing it quite well at the moment But we're overwhelmed with media and being stuck with our devices in our homes. What numbers and stories matter to you in the context of the long-term trajectory of our nation? What are you watching and consuming and what, what are you, in a way, Hugh, what are you orienting towards and what are you letting filter in? And well, what
2: are you... Uh, yes, uh, so just before I add to that, I just want to say I just had a wonderful time in the chat room. I met two of the loveliest people you can imagine. Uh, it was terrific. Um, but look, I, I'm being very uh, strict about limiting my news intake. Um, some of my friends are watching continuous uh, news feeds and they're just getting more and more depressed. Uh, of course, the news is bad. We're talking about a pandemic. Uh, I think uh, th- 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 we, need, we need a daily update. We need to know what's happening and what's happening in our own local area uh, and whether our, whether our strategies are working, which they seem to be. But I think we also need to um, uh, cre- get away from the media. We need to create some good news. And the, the, the two people that I was chatting with have been creating good news in their own street which is lovely, by making contact with people. I, th- I, think, I think, think of yourself as the source of the news. Uh, I mean, yes, we get the mass media stuff, but what news are you making? What, what news are you creating where you live? Uh, and even in your workplace? I mean, people who are uh, working from home, I've heard quite a lot of people say, you know, some of my colleagues drive me mad, but, gee, I'm missing them now, I can't see them. Uh, and what are you missing? Well, what we're missing is uh, the incidental conversation, the corridor chat, running into someone in the washroom and saying, you know, is your mother-in-law still driving you nuts or what's your son doing now? He can't play soccer. I, I think it's a very important thing to do if you're working from home to ring pod and not, not to think of every Zoom meeting or every phone call or every email as having to be serious work, but to remember that in the workplace, what oils the wheels of of uh, our workplaces is these incidental social encounters. Bring up one of your colleagues and just say. Uh, you know, I remember before we before we all had to go home, you were talking about something, how's that working out? You know, did the hydrangeas die? Anything um, that that keeps that keeps the social conduit running.
0: Um, I got one. One other, Nathan. I'll read one more question because it's a great one, and, and I've been really obsessing about this too a bit. Um, given that this pandemic will suppress the economy, I am this person is concerned about our political willingness to address climate change in the next ten years. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Hmm. Yeah, uh, we we chatted briefly about this in our little um, breakout group. Um, I, I have two two observations about this. One is. Uh, The economic consequences of this are going to be so extraordinary, so vast, and we are going to be in such deep national debt that I think that's probably going to be enough to change our minds about taxation and to realise that part of being interconnected and interdependent like this is we've got to contribute more the way some other societies on earth do and not be so individualistic in our attitude to taxation and especially tax evasion or avoidance. Um, But I do hope, I, I, I I don't think you can say there's evidence of this yet, Barry, but I do hope that making this adjustment, living through this societal transformation, which is what we're going through, will be something of a dress rehearsal that we'll realise that actually it's not just a virus, but we're facing some major, major impacts from climate change on the way we live and on the way we've got to become more cooperative. And so I think the shock of the pandemic might just loosen us up a bit to be more responsive to that. And I hope, I I said sort of jokingly earlier in our conversation that, you know, government's traditionally not been listening to the science on climate change. Suddenly they are listening to the science uh, on epidemiology. Well, I hope uh, the next step is, well, scientists have a few other things to say as well and we better listen to them. Now we're in the mood to modify our behaviour. Let's think of some of the other ways we should be modifying our behaviour.
1: Thank you, Hugh. Wow, we've got through our hour already. Gosh, that's quick. But um, thank you, everyone. I want to let you know that we are putting these chats out as podcasts on the Dumbo Feather Podcast channel. So that should be up by Wednesday evening. Please share that around with anyone who'd be interested in this chat. Um, Hugh, as always, thank you for all of the glorious insight you had to share. You, it's incredible. You know, sixty years of work um, that you've done and led to this moment and I hope everyone kind of turns to you as a, as a sage for us all. Um, please continue to subscribe to Dumbo Feather magazine um, and next week we are with Lydia Fairhall, um, so tune in for that chat.
0: Another great awesome. wisdom keeper. Thank you, everyone. And the podcast will be available on the Dumbo Feather podcast, which you can get wherever you get and download your podcasts. Thank you
1: very much. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Lots of love.
0: Lots of love, everyone. Take care out there. See you next Monday.